so here we are, and I, I didn't really, you know, I'm like, what do I, I said, well, Jonathan, what have you been teaching on such, and he said, yeah, you can just tag on to that, and I said, okay, and nothing, I just came up with nothing, so um, I came up with this, though, or the Lord, if you want a title tonight, it's called The Tables Will Turn, and y'all, I have not timed this out, so I don't know if this will be 10 minutes or an hour and a half. If I see y'all leave, I know it's too long, but um, it's called The Tables Will Turn. I mean, you keep that in mind, The Tables Will Turn, and just in, in that context, it's, although a situation may look hopeless, in God we are never helpless. Although a situation may look, look hopeless, in God we are never helpless, and I also want us to keep in mind this. God's presence is always at work. God's presence is always at work. We may not know it. We may not see it. We may not feel it. We may not hear it. Nothing. We may be completely oblivious to it. But God's presence is always at work for his people. So this is going to come out of the story of Esther. And if you know the story of Esther, it's a little bit detailed and it's a little bit lengthy. So we're going to watch it on video. We're going to watch a, a Saddleback Kids video because it tells the story a whole lot more cleverly than I could. And so just pay attention to details and then we'll plug them into some spots here. So don't make fun. I teach children. So y'all pay attention and I'll give you a prize at the end. All right. Watch about Esther. Slapstick Theater. Esther's request to the king. This is Esther who was a Jewish orphan who lived in Persia during the reign of King Xerxes. Esther was adopted by her relative, Mordecai, hey. who worked in the palace of the king. Once, Mordecai had even saved the king's life. Yep. Esther became the queen of Persia, but no one knew she was a Jew because Mordecai told her to keep it a secret. This is Haman. Yeah. <laughs> who was the second most powerful man in Persia. <laughs> Haman hated Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. So Haman convinced King Xerxes to make a decree to kill all Mordecai's people, the Jews. When Mordecai learned about this, he was very upset, as were all the Jews in Persia. When Queen Esther's servants came and told her about how upset Mordecai was, she sent one of her servants, Haytak, to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him. So Haytak went out to Mordecai, and Mordecai told him of the plan to kill God's people. Mordecai said that he wanted Esther to go to the king to ask for him to save the Jews. Esther knew that anyone who went to the king without being called could be put to death. But Mordecai reminded Esther that she may have been made queen for such a time as this. So Esther asked for the Jews to pray for her and fast for three days. Then Esther put on her royal robes and went before the king. When the king saw Esther, he was happy to see her and asked, What do you want, Queen Esther? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. So Esther asked the king if he and Haman would come to a banquet that she had prepared for them, and the king agreed. Esther held a banquet and then asked the king and Haman to come to a second banquet the next night. That night, the king was reminded of how Mordecai had once saved his life. 
King Xerxes decided that he must honor Mordecai and that Haman would help. Then at the second banquet, Esther told the king about the plot against her people. The king was angry and asked, who would do such a thing? Esther said it was Haman, and the king ordered Haman to be killed on that very night. Uh-oh. But the decree to kill all the Jews was still in place, and the Jews were still in danger. So Mordecai asked the king to issue a new decree so that the Jews could defend themselves. The king did, and the Jews defeated all their enemies. God's people were saved and celebrated their great victory. All right, did y'all get it all? We're going to plug it in. It's an involved story, but we're going to plug it in. So Esther, an orphan and a Jew, is growing up in a, a pagan country, Persia. She's raised by her cousin, her older cousin Mordecai, and he um, takes care of her, and he, he actually works in the temple. He works there. I'm not, not in the temple. I'm in the king's palace. So Esther, <clears throat> an orphan Jew. There's going to be certain words that I want us to focus on, the unlikelies and the God presence in it all. So Esther was an orphan and a Jew, two strikes against her. But somehow, if you're taking notes, write that word, somehow she becomes what? Queen. Out of all the Persian women, who becomes queen? Esther, and she's not even a Persian, but she was beautiful and God favored her. So somehow is indicative that God's presence is at work. <clears throat> God always does his best work in the most unlikely ways, and often through most unlikely people. All right, so secondly, Mordecai, her cousin, her family, uncovers a plot about what? Someone's going to get rid of the king. Someone's going to kill the king. And Mordecai just happens to overhear it. God's presence, again, is at work. Mordecai uncovers the plot at just the right time, to destroy the king, and just like God, he's always right on time. He knows exactly what to do. I think, possibly like Mordecai, he's just sitting there and hears this plot, and he tells who needs to be told, and Esther finds out, and they tell the king, and it's the plot is foiled. I don't think Mordecai necessarily knew it was God that made that happen, and I think to, to myself, how many times in our life are we going through life and God's working behind the scenes and we don't even have an awareness of it until on down the right. Always make our, it should, we should always make ourselves aware that God's always at work, even in the most difficult, mundane, boring, day-to-day uh, -day lives that God can still be at work and certainly he can be at work in the difficulties. So the, the key word in that part is, at just the right time, just the right time. God always just the right time. Third, Haman, who is the villain, plots the destruction of Mordecai and the Jews. Why? Because Mordecai won't bow to him. He said, everybody has to bow to me, to me and everybody bowed to him because he was almighty Haman, but Mordecai said, I'm not gonna bow because I can only bow to God alone. And that infuriates Haman and so to the point that, I, well, then you will die and all your people, the Jews, will die. Now, at this time, it's not known that, he, that um, Esther is a Jew. So Haman the villain plots the destruction of Mordecai and the Jews. And at that time, it looks like evil will prevail. He had the king sign the decree. 
And once the king signs a decree, that's it. And it looks like evil will prevail. There are a whole lot of times in our life where it looks like evil will prevail, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in finances, whether it's in our physical bodies, whether it's in a sense of hopelessness, whether it's in our mental health um, issues that might be going on, whatever it is, it often looks like evil might prevail. So it looked like the evil plot would prevail, but I want you to remember these words, not for long. In the Bible, it says, though weeping may last for a night, what comes in the morning? Joy. Weeping will last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Next, Esther makes a brave and an unlikely journey. Now, Esther was queen, but nobody was allowed to come to the king unless they had been summoned, including his wife. Nobody comes to the king unless you've been summoned. If you come to the king and you've not been summoned, he can put you to death. The only way that you aren't put to death is if he holds out his scepter and says, I give you grace and permission and you can come. So Mordecai is telling Esther, you've got to go to the king and tell him about Haman's plot. And Esther's like, no. She said, I haven't even been summoned for 30 days. For 30 days he has not summoned me. You want me to go now? And so we wonder what Esther may have felt in this brave, the key words here are brave and unlikely journey. Fear is often one of the things that we face, especially if we're in a difficult situation. Fear can overwhelm us. And God may be telling us to do something and we're, we're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid to do that. One of the things I like that Joyce Meyer says, do it afraid. Whatever God's asked you to do, even if you're not sure, even if you're shaking and you have trepidation, do it afraid. And that's exactly what Esther did. And so she doesn't know. She fancies herself up and puts on her lemon verbena and she goes in there to the king, not knowing if he's going to say off with her head or give her his blessing. And he holds out his scepter and she has the blood that she looked cute was probably helpful. He couldn't resist. And so she went unlikely, unlikely for a Persian Jew to be queen in the first place, unlikely for her to go 30 days without being summoned. And he's, and she goes and, and he gets, she has his blessing. A lot of unlikely things. I thought to myself today, you know, <clears throat> growing up, I was pretty timid, except with my brothers. I'm pretty shy. Um, but there was something I was, that, that it's, it's like a super power came out of me, was when we played, we, when we played it at school, it was called bombardment. Nowadays, we would call it dodgeball. But for some reason, dodgeball and I clicked. I know it doesn't look it now, but I could throw a missile of a ball. And there were lots of times where it'd be, they'd wipe out my whole team and I'd be the only one left and I'd take out 10 girls. And they would always call me the one man team and I'd put my head down like this. Kind of like that, that, have you ever seen the League of Their Own and the, the girl that can bat the wall, a ball out of the park and she would always just put her head down and then she'd whack that ball, it was like that. I was timid and afraid and shy and crippled with the fear of rejection, unless I was playing dodgeball. 
And it's like God's super, now if I tried to throw a ball now, y'all be picking up my socket, shoulder socket from the floor right there. And I would be, oh, I wore it out throwing too many baseballs and softballs and dodgeballs. But God can take, even put us in situations where we're, we're really unlikely or the situation is really unlikely. But when his presence is there or when his gifting is there, when he shows up, it changes everything. Once Esther walked into King Xerxes, everything was about to turn because now Haman's about to be found out. Haman, who looks like he's about to prevail. Let me tell you, if there's a situation in your life where it looks like the enemy of your soul is prevailing, or even someone who seems to be gaining against you or overpowering you or an overwhelming situation at work, wherever, don't you worry about it. Because once it turns, it turns. Do it afraid. Next. Now listen to this. God's presence is in each one of these things. So then one night, all of a sudden, the king can't sleep. King Xerxes can't sleep. And to help him to go to sleep, he says, bring the book of all the good things some people have done. Bring out the records. And they bring out the records. And whose account does, do they read to him about? Mordecai. They said, well, there's an account in here, King Xerxes, where Mordecai undid a plot to kill you. Of all the accounts that could have been read, do you see God's presence? God had them read the account of Mordecai. And so the king is made aware. God remembered what Mordecai did, and God was going to use what Mordecai did. I want us to remember something tonight. God uses everything that we do, especially when we do it faithfully to him. There may be a lot of things that you're thinking are just everyday stuff that doesn't matter. And know that God keeps an account. I'm sure Haman, I mean, Mordecai had long forgot about that plot and they moved on. You know how life just moves on and we forget. God didn't forget. God had that memory come up and be read at just the right time. Again, God's presence is at work. God remembers what we've done, and he, he, it goes in our favor because he is in the center of it all. Next, the king considered how to honor Mordecai. So he reads the, he hears about this, and he's reminded of it, and he said, how do we honor this Mordecai? He saved my life. We've got to honor him. Now, here's the irony that where God's truly at work and where God shows no matter what anyone's plot is against my people, my children, it will not prevail. The irony is that Haman, well, Morde- um, the king Xerxes says, I want to order honor Mordecai, and he asks Haman's opinion. And so Haman is foolishly thinking that re- the king is referring to honoring him. And he's like, oh, well, king, we should do this and we should do that and we should do this and that and that and this to honor anyone that you're wanting to honor. The whole time, Haman thinking that the king is referring to him. Who is the king referring to? He's referring to Mordecai. Have you ever been frustrated when it seems like someone wicked is prevailing? Or a wicked entity, is a group, an organization, or whatever. When it seems like it's prevailing over you, over God's people, over the church. Haman 
thought he had it all in the bag. Haman had made his plot. He had done it well. He was going to get rid of not just Mordecai, but all the Jews. He had the king's blessing to do so. And it looks like he's going to prevail. And oftentimes it looks to us like our enemy's about to prevail or evil's about to prevail. You can watch um, TV or, or the internet or whatever it is that you, wherever you get your information or news from, and, and on every turn it looks like evil is prevailing. Only for a season, only for a time. God's not fooled. So Haman has the gallows built for Mordecai. He's not just satisfied that he got the king to sign the decree. He said, build the gallows, because that's what we're going to hang him on. And then we're going to kill all the other Jews as well. And I'm actually going to turn to this in Esther, chapter 5. I forgot to give you all these verses, but I'll just read them out loud. Chapter 5, and verse 9. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the ga his gates and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. And we're going to move all the way to verse 14. And it says, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning suggested the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And part of the story is that Esther had called bank a banquet that Haman thought, oh, I've been invited to the queen's banquet. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know what's going on. And so he had these, they even told him how, how big to make them. And he said, and then you'll go merrily to the banquet after you've hung Mordecai. Our enemy hates us all day. Every day, he hates us. He has gallows built, so to speak, for you and for me. Whether it's mental gallows or emotional gallows or relationship gallows or health crisis gallows or financial gallows or whatever they are, he has the gallows built and he said, watch them hang. Sin gallows. He's bent on our destruction just the same way Haman was bent on destroying Mordecai and all of God's people. Our enemy hates us, and he wants us to hang on the gallows. But God was in the middle of it. I'm going to read in um, chapter 7 and verse 10. Then the king said to hang Haman, I'm sorry, then the king said, hang him on it. This is after he had found out, as our little video showed us, and he said, who is it that plots to kill the, the people of Israel? And she said, him, Haman. And the king's infuriated. He knows he's been tricked. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had done what? Prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. The enemy has gallows built for us, whatever kind they are. One of my verses that I've gone to for years is very short and very simple. 
in Romans 15, 13. One of my favorite verses. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by God's Holy Spirit that we have hope. Just think about it. Mordecai and Esther didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have Jesus in the, the new covenant. They didn't have the, the scriptures that we had. They had some. They didn't have all that we had, but they put their hope in God. May the God of hope. He's not just the God. He's the God of what? He's the God of hope. May, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing by the Holy Spirit. Fill you with what? Joy and peace. Well, okay, when everything's going good, that sounds about right. Joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't always see what God's doing. We don't always hear what God's doing. We don't always know what God's doing. Let me just tell you, God is doing. There was a time, I can think of many times, but back when I was in college, there was a time where I was taking a college class and um, we had to work full time and pay for our own school and go to school full time and do the best we could. So when I was going to school and I was taking a couple classes at Texas Wesley and there was no dropping classes. I couldn't afford to drop classes. You can't afford it when you pay your own way. And there was no failing out. And I remember there was a particular class that was on Monday nights. It was three hours long. It was a world literature class. And the teacher herself was tough as nails. And I remember just being overwhelmed. Um, school kind of made me nervous anyway. I, I think perfectionism probably played into it if I didn't get the perfect grades and, and I was fearful that I wouldn't understand and fearful that I would fail and fearful, fearful, fearful. But despite that fear, I knew that God saw and he knew. And so every Monday night, three-hour class from 7 to 10, and she, she kept you all three, from 7 to 10, <laughs> you're staying in that class. And it was intense, and she never cracked a smile. And then when you had a test, it was all written. No multiple choice, no true or false, no all written essay style, and it would take the entire three hours for me to take a test the whole thing. You had to read and comprehend this much stuff, and then you had to be able to answer her questions. And there were a lot of times I was crying on the way to school. And I would pray, and I would cry, and I would cry, and I would pray. I didn't know then that God was doing a work of strengthening, a work of endurance, a work of Grades didn't come easily for me, so unlikeliness was about to happen. So that class started with about 21 students, and by the end of the semester, there were seven of us left. Seven. And guess who got an A? Yes, she did. Got an A. Unlikely. Very unlikely. 
God used that experience to say, I am always working behind the scenes for you. When you feel like you're just overwhelmed and can't take it another minute, I am working behind the scenes for you. I'm sure Mordecai felt overwhelmed. I'm sure Esther felt overwhelmed. They see that Haman's getting away with something. Haman's enjoying his, his gleefully looking forward to doing what he's gonna, the enemy looks gleefully, oh yeah, I've got him where I want him. I'm gonna make them miserable. I'm gonna make them depressed. I'm gonna make them afraid. I'm gonna make them fear, failure. But God was at work. God was at work in the most unlikely of things. It is in difficulty that God does his greatest work. It is in the challenges that God does his greatest strengthening. It is in that, if the band will come up, please. And in in a situation of Haman and Mordecai and Esther and King Xerxes, do you you, all remember how um, Esther even became queen? The queen was Vashti. And, and King Xerxes summoned her. This is, Esther's not even in the picture yet. And, and Vashti was summoned. The king wants you because she was beautiful and he was pretty and she wa- he wanted to show her off. And he's, he says, the king wants you to come. And she was with all her lady friends. And she says, no, I'm, tell them I'm not coming. And they went and told Xerxes. They said, Vashti said she's not going to come. And he said, she said, what? And then the other men were like, if you let her get away with that, then all the, then all the other wives are going to think they can do the same thing in the kingdom. And so Vashti was banished. He was, she was sent away. No more Vashti. And that's how Esther came into the picture. The king needed a new, he started to miss Vashti, but he couldn't dare bring her back. So then he said, well, just bring all the ladies and I'll pick one from them. All a very unlikely, all very unlikely. Our last verse is in Romans chapter 15. I know this is a Bible story that many of you have probably heard when since you were little as far as the story of Esther and becoming queen and all that. But what I want us to see, what I needed to see in this story is God's presence. God's presence. God's presence is always there. God's presence is always with us. We can't always look and expect to feel it and hear it and see it, because we don't. (laughs) We don't always feel it and hear it and see it. We just don't. But it's always there. You remember that Esther was told, "You you were born for such a time as this. Is that, is that statement any different for any of us in this room? That we each were born for such a time as this. We don't know what God's doing in us and what he has planned. But these verses in Romans 15 and chapter and verse 13 are powerful. And we're actually going to go all the way um, to verse when I stop. <laughs> I don't want y'all to make, make y'all listen to me read it and figure it out that way, but just listen. Just really listen. Even if you've heard these verses before, listen and apply them to where you are today. 
Well, no wonder I'm in the wrong chapter. Let's go to Romans 8. That's why I couldn't find it. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. As I said, let's look at, let's read these verses as if the Lord himself is sitting right next to you and patting you on the shoulder and say, listen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is making intercession for every single one of us in this room. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, all these things, we are in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God cared about Esther and Mordecai and the Israelites, however long ago that was, long time ago, it wasn't yesterday, he cares for us now. And he sees where we are. And he sees where we want us, he wants us to be. And he's in the middle of it all. His presence is in the middle of it all. So in closing, I'm going to say some things. And after I say each thing, I'm going to say God's presence is at work. In difficult times, God's presence is at work. In confusing times, God's presence is at work. In disheartening times, God's presence is at work. In mundane times, God's presence is at work. In painful times, God's presence is at work. In unfair times, God's presence is at work. In, in ordinary times, God's presence is at work. In times where we've failed, God's presence is at work. In times of evil, God's presence is at work. There are things right now in my life that I do not understand. There are things that I've believed and prayed for that have not happened yet. There are things that I've told God that does not seem fair. And he's okay with me saying that. Not to sound like a martyr, but there are areas of my life where I've given it my all. 
and it doesn't seem to be fruitful. It doesn't seem to be fruitful. Doesn't seem. What things seem like have nothing to do with what God is doing behind the scenes. He's faithful and his presence is there and he's at work in every single one of us sitting in this room, those watching. He's doing a work in his people and the enemy would love nothing more than to catch us asleep. Guess who wasn't asleep? Mordecai wasn't asleep. Mordecai was paying attention. Mordecai was sensitive to God. Esther was obedient. Esther was a, said, I don't know, but I'll, I'll do it. The Israelites were unaware until they were told, and then they were weeping and wailing. Someone told the Israelites, hey, Haman said we're all going to die. And they're like, Wah! and they're having a crybaby fit because they're like, when? What, what? They're doing the countdown. When is, when is the time? Because there was a time set for their destruction. And the Israelites were freaking out. And so we could be any of those things. We can be unaware. We can be freaking out. We can be angry. We can be frustrated. We can be in a place where I don't understand. We can be even in the, be in the belly aching. Like, I gave you everything I had. And I prayed for that. And I did this. And God is still at work for such a time as this. Today, April, whatever today is, 2023. He's at work. And I want us to remember that and know that. That Haman is a picture of our enemy, bent on the destruction of God's people. Esther is a picture of Jesus. She was unlikely, and she went and put herself in a place of possible death in order to save God's people. The Old Testament often reflects, is reflected in the New Testament. We can see many of the aspects of Jesus in the story of Esther and God saving his people from the enemy bent on killing them. Can I encourage us tonight that God's presence is in it all? And he may be working behind the scenes doing what you thought, oh, I don't know, doesn't seem like anything's happening. Rest assured, he's at work. He's at work.